Canyoneering is a dangerous sport and should not be attempted by anyone. The hosts of this podcast and its guests do stupid things outdoors and frequently give bad advice and incorrect information. Listening to this podcast is known to cause cancer in the state of California. To reduce the threat of harm, listeners should wear a mask, earplugs, and stay indoors. And now, the unqualified hosts of the Canyon Tech Podcast, Wayne and Vin. Hey, everybody. Glad to have you back. Uh, uh, This is Wayne. Vin over there. Say hi. It's good to be here. Great. So last time we talked a little bit about the very basic equipment that you need to be a fine canyoneer. So that included the harness, the descender, a helmet, and at least one carabiner to uh, connect your descender. So this time we're going to talk about some more equipment that most people have in their in their pack and take with them. Um, specifically, we're going to look at tethers and ropes and gloves and rope bags and canyoneering bags. So this is when you're um, beyond that first time or two with friends and you're starting to commit to the sport a little bit more, want to be uh, safer, protect yourself, and um, get the right equipment for getting out into the canyon. But um, so, but before we start there, Vin, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into canyoneering? You know, when I moved to southern Utah, I knew that I wanted to get into canyoneering and took a look at some of the classes around the area. Um, yeah, no one cares, Vin. Let's, uh, let's talk about canyoneering. So let's get into this. And uh, the one thing that's very important uh, on, your, on your harness is a tether. And there's different types of tethers. There's everything from very simple, I would call it homemade options, up to the, uh, to the purchased and advanced options that we'll get through. So, um, so the very uh, simplest one, Vin, tell us about a sling. Yeah, a sling in general is just, um, it's a rated piece of uh, cord that's sewn into a loop. Um, and you can kind of use that to adjust your distance to something that you're trying to connect to. Okay. And so, yeah, a lot of people will just girth hitch that sling into this loop into their main uh, attachment point. You want to make sure you're doing it into uh, into that main attachment point because that is weight rated and uh, not into a side loop on, on uh, where most harnesses that would just rip off if you, if you uh, connect it over there. So anything that we're talking about relative to a tether, make sure you're putting it into your main loop um, where you're going to put your descender and the carabiner that goes with the descender. Um, but yeah, so, and then the other thing that's a little bit clumsy with that is, um, you know, the purpose of the tether is when you come up to an exposed edge where you're about to rappel off of, but the anchor is near that edge. So obviously it gets a little scary, uh, and perhaps dangerous to be standing there. Sandstone can be slick. Um, and so you don't want to be standing there near an edge without being clipped in. So this sling again, is our first option, you would just clip into the, um, to the end of it to make sure if you fell, you wouldn't go too far. Um, and then that'd, that'd be the last thing um, right after you call for a belay that you take back off. Um, the other thing that gets a little clumsy with any of these tethers is uh, you like to have them long, but at the same time, then you've got a big loop um, that goes around from your center port, uh, point on your harness all the way to the left. And you've got a loop that goes down where you may catch your knee or your foot on the way down. So a lot of times uh, there's different options for that. But in the case of a sling, uh, we just suggest putting a knot in the middle of it and then just kind of double double clipping it in the middle and clipping it on the end, and that'll just keep it out of the way. Um, so another another homemade option, Vin, just taking some cordage and doing something along those lines. 
Yeah, you know, I can, I've used a, a ton of different options for uh, connecting myself hard to an anchor or to a guideline. Um, anything that's rated is pretty comfortable for me, whether it's a quick draw with some lockers on it, um, an adjustable tether or one of the daisy chains that we've purchased before. Okay, that's great. And we'll talk about some of those purchased items. And the other thing I found interesting, there's a very inexpensive small metal device called a Kong slide where you can take a seven, eight millimeter piece of rope and you um, loop it through in a very specific way. It's got like three little holes in it. Um, and one of the holes is for your, for your carabiner to clip in. And the interesting thing is you can clip in, pull out the slack very easily, but if you were to fall on it, it actually pinches the rope in such a way that um, you would not fall far. So in terms of, you know, having a, having a homemade option, marrying up with a little bit of rope or cordage, the Kong slide might be interested, S-L-Y-D-E for some folks as well. And then another thing that I've seen people use, again, in the realm of homemade is the Purcell Prusik. Tell us a little bit about that special Prusik. Yeah, a Purcell Prusik is a cord um, that you're going to terminate on one end with either a figure eight, any kind of termination loop. And then the other side is actually looped back on itself in a Prusik, which allows that adjustability. So, yeah. So the, the main thing is also you have some flexibility in terms of the length. People use it for all kinds of purposes. But again, um, you know, if you're clipping into a, um, any kind of anchor for safety. Um, one of the problems with some of these others is that, uh, you know, if you have a lot of slack in the system, you could still have a bit of a shock. And anytime you're shocking any of your equipment, your ropes, the anchors, it's not a great thing if you fall two or three feet before you actually, um, you know, uh, stretch out a rope or a prusik. Um, the Purcell in this case would be able to be slid and shortened a bit so that you don't have so much um, excess slack in the system. So let's talk about, so, you know, those are some nice, um, more inexpensive options. So let's talk about those that are made specifically to be, uh, so we're talking about uh, a daisy chain. So a daisy chain is, uh, as the name indicates, if you think about it, a chain with a number of metal uh, interlocking links. These are um, uh, nylon or some other types of sewn uh, loops that interlock. Um, so the good thing about the daisy chain, it's very strong. You have some length there. Some are longer than others. Um, but also you can just clip or double clip any of the loops along the chain in order to be able to do, um, you know, the, the tether. But also, Vin, let's talk a bit about use of the tether for not just clipping in, but a, a VT Prusik when you go down first on Repel. Yeah, you know, really the tether allows you to connect to any point uh, at variable lengths. And so, like with me, I use an extended Repel the tether allows me to get my uh, backup, whether it's a VT Prusik or a regular Prusik, above my device at a, at a place that's more comfortable and it's not jamming into my Repel device. Yeah, and similarly, I will be clipped into an anchor when I'm near the edge, maybe at the end of my tether, and then <clears throat> I will have a, I will short clip to that VC, VT Prusik so that I'm ready to go. And we'll talk about the VT becomes a little more of an advanced um, topic for another day, but it just gives you options. And another option relative to that is there are uh, cow's tails, as they call them. So you will have um, um, you know, a, a loop in the middle where you can attach it to your harness, again, oftentimes through a girth hitch, and you'll have one short tail going one direction and one tail going the other direction. Sometimes they're different lengths, sometimes they're the same. Um, so then you have those kinds of options again as well. But, um, but they may not be variable. They may be uh, uh, you know, fixed in terms of the two lengths. So that's not one that I prefer. Um, I've tried that before, but it doesn't work as quite as well 
is what I know that you and I do use, Vin, which is the Petzl Dual Connect Adjust. So this is a length of, uh, we'll call it rope, and then there's a connection point at each end for some carabiners. And there's two styles of this. One has a sewn middle loop, and the other, um, which is the Vario, has just a straight loop, so you can tie it on to your main point of harness any way you want. So tell me your, your thoughts on that and why we like that one so much. Yeah, so on the one end, um, what I use for my short tether has been really convenient because I set it at a length that is just beyond my rappel device, allowing me to either clip to a guideline or exactly where I want to put my prusik in most cases. On the other end of the tether is an adjustable length. So when I tighten it, and once I weight it, it locks in place. And that kind of gives me that, that infinite um, adjustment versus the loops where I'm kind of choosing in between three or four inch sections. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way. I love having that adjustability for a lot of, it's, it's got a lot of length to it. So I have the one end of it very short, the other end quite long um, that I can shorten. So, you know, one, one is great for, could be hanging the bag, the VT Prusik, as we talked about, the clipping in. So there's just a lot of, um, and it's a little more expensive than the other options that we talked about. But, um, you know, long term, it, it's worth it to us for the, for the options that it provides. Um, one of the things that I uh, want to talk about relative to the uh, first item that we mentioned, which is the sling. And, and I don't want to short, uh, short change the sling because it's being used for a lot of different things. And so I want to make sure that we're talking about that um, because just because if you don't use your sling for a tether, you may still want a sling on your harness. Yeah. So in general, I carry a sling right on my chest, kind of like a trad climber does. Um, and so the things that I use it for is I've definitely used it um, as a climb heist when I'm doing some kind of self-rescue. I've definitely used it for um, an emergency anchor. And then a lot of times if I if I'm not prepared for the canyon in the way that I thought, it's a perfect way for me to rig up uh, a temporary chest harness. Yeah, and I think the most important, some of the other things you talked about are, are great for, you know, either emergency or, um, you know, trying to stay upright with the chest harness. Um, but the key is when you have that uh, climb heist and you're looping it around in, in, a, in a friction hitch above you and being able to step into it. So that helps you get off of your um, descender temporarily, right? So you're trying to do it in a way in case your shirt's stuck in your descender and you can't go any further, you got to get off of it. So this um, self-rescue becomes very important. Hopefully you have some other partners that can rescue in the other ways. And in future podcasts, we'll talk about um, some of those techniques. But the number one thing, um, kind of once you get past the basics, is to learn how to self-rescue. And that sling um, comes in very, very handy um, to be able to use that. Any other thoughts on tethers, Vin, before we leave that topic? I think that's about it. Great. So let's talk a little bit about gloves. So I guess the first item is, um, you know, barehanded versus gloves, which sounds uh, silly to have your hand running down a rope and potentially getting rope burns, et cetera. But actually, uh, we go out with some folks that I know go barehanded. And over time, I have ditched the gloves as well. Half the time is because my gloves fall out of my pack and I don't make it back in, but I've now just gotten used to it. Um, and it also helps me in terms of speed because if I'm starting to go fast to the point where I'm burning my hands, I know I need to slow back down and get back in control. I will say the downside to being barehanded um, is, is you really do have to have great control. So as we talked in the last podcast, if your descender isn't um, set up for a perfect level of friction for you, as, as my uh, scarab is for me, 
um, it can be really difficult to hold and, uh, and you don't definitely won't let go of that rope just because your hand's starting to burn. So I wouldn't suggest that early on, but again, some of the folks that I go with, including me, um, do you go barehanded? And the only other thing I'd say is, uh, you get a lot of, uh, dirt and, uh, particles of aluminum off of other people's descenders on your hands. So it is definitely not an ideal situation. Um, but let's talk about the gloves, which most people will use and some of the different types that either work or don't work and what things you've seen, Vin. Yeah. You know, I guess that one of the trade-offs is, is that the gloves are really great for protecting your hand from heat, but it comes at the cost of dexterity. So you're trying to get in and out of carabiners, trying to load your repel device. And I think I had a similar progression that you did, which is in the beginning, I kind of had two gloves because you know, you have a tendency to death grip everything when you're first starting. It's really True. scary. And then as I got more comfortable and I was better in control of my friction, I kind of moved to one-handed. Um, surprisingly, it was actually my left hand that got harder. And I guess I didn't realize at first, but it was kind of the heat that built up on the repel device that was like transferring into the rope and then burning my left hand. Um, and then after that, I kind of just shedded both. Once I got really in control of my friction, was able to just go barehanded. Yeah, and most of the gloves that you're going to use would be leather because leather slides nicely on the rope. It protects you from the heat. It's very durable. Um, there are specialized, you know, canyoneering or climbing gloves for belay that might have added leather in the palm, even a second layer. Um, that is nice. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, there's other, you know, cheaper work gloves that you can use in the yard and those kinds of things. Cloth will burn through fairly quickly. So while it's cheap, um, they're not going to definitely not going to last very long. And then we go out with some folks, too, that actually will use the more rubber coated, um, I guess, their mechanics gloves or gardening gloves. I'm not sure what you use them for. But um, the, the problem that I've had with the rubber coated is that it just grabs the rope a little too much for me. So it's more instead of sliding smoothly through like a leather glove would, it keeps kind of grabbing and jerking. Um, so I'm not a big fan, but again, we've gone out with some people. So it might be useful for folks to try a couple of different kinds, um, you know, different brands and those types of things. Um, I will say that I, I spent some good money, 30 or $40 once on a nice um, set of Petzl gloves, and they were good while they lasted. They burned through just like uh, my other leather gloves did. And over time, I realized that, frankly, the cheapest gloves, nice leather gloves I could get at a Harbor Freight or Home Depot, especially if they were on clearance, worked about as well or maybe even better than some of the name brand expensive climbing gloves, um, belay gloves. So, you know, there's some options out there. You don't always have to go to the local canyoneering shop or um, the big, the big uh, climbing stores in order to find that. Uh, the other thing is there's, there's the full finger gloves or fingerless, and I've seen folks use both. Uh, have you tried both, Vin, and what are your thoughts on those? I have tried both, and I think the, the concept is that the fingerless gloves give you some of that dexterity back. Uh, for me, it just hasn't worked. Like It still kind of goes over the knuckle, and it, it's not the same. Um, maybe I would have some more success with just cutting them off myself to the right length, but have not tried it. Yeah, and I have seen people that too, uh, for that dexterity, they may cut off one or two little edges of the fingers so that they are, uh, their important fingers are showing in order to be able to, um, you know, pull out knots or make clove hitches or those kinds of things. I haven't had as big a problem um, with the dexterity as, as others do. And the other thing you have to think about leather is when you get into water, you know, it, it feels kind of funny and it'll shrink. And so that might be the end of that uh, pair of leather gloves too. Um, when you get into some of the wet canyons. Uh, the other thing that I've noticed is I actually do have a pair of, uh, for wintertime, a uh, flannel-lined set of leather gloves, so I get a little more warmth too. 
um, versus sometimes in the summer. I think this is why I started to ditch the gloves in the first place as it gets hot when you have a nice pair of leather gloves on your, on your person the whole time. So, um, so anyhow, so that's, that's it for gloves. Um, let's talk a little bit about ropes. Um, and so the interesting thing is there's one very specific kind of rookie mistake is the climbers will often bring their dynamic ropes over into the canyoneering world. Um, but, the, in the canyoneering, um, community, we use static ropes. So let's talk a little bit about the reasons for that, Vin. Yeah, you know, dynamic rope is really great because when you're climbing, you're worried about fall factor, um, which is that like that how much force is being transferred to your body when you go through a fall. But in the canyoneering world, in general, we're always in contact with the rope. So, you know, the, the, the fall factor should not be an issue. Now, why you don't want to use a dynamic rope is because of the stretch and the movement that's happening as you're rappelling. It kind of causes two issues, I think. One is that as you're rappelling, it makes it a much more jerky experience, which is not great for you, but it's also not great for the rope because that rub point um, where it's in contact with the rock as you transition to the vertical section, um, as that rope rubs back and forth, you're definitely causing damage to the sheath and potentially the core. Yeah, and so that is why we use the static rope so that it doesn't do that uh, stretch quite as much. So it's a, there is a little bit of stretch still in um, in our uh, canyoneering static ropes. Um, conversely, FYI, if you start with canyoneering and move to climbing, you also don't want to use the static ropes in climbing for the the same reasons because then you don't have the stretch that you need in a fall, and you can break your back and have some other issues. Um, so neither the twain shall meet uh, in the canyons uh, versus the big wall. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about, so of course you can get, um, anything from spools of ropes to, uh, you know, a hundred foot ropes, et cetera. Um, my suggestion having, having, uh, gone through a number of ropes over time is the 200 seems to be the most versatile. Um, a lot of the canyons that we go down, um, 200 tends to be the max rappel. There are a few that will be 300. You may need a specialty rope or some other friends or some techniques for passing a knot. Um, or being lowered. So that's a whole nother podcast and a set of conversations. But for the most part, a 200 is seemingly very versatile. Um, so that's what I would suggest folks if they're off buying their first rope. Um, because the other thing that happens is um, because of that kind of stretch over an edge, which a lot of times the edge will be, uh, you know, sometimes 10 to 20 or 30 feet from the actual anchor, that is the part of the rope that's going to take the most abrasion. And that's where you're going to get a uh, core shot and you're going to lose your, um, your sheath. And so at some point, you're going to have to cut your rope. And so your nice, beautiful 200-foot rope will become a 170, and then a 140, and then a 110. And then pretty soon, you will have, like I do, a garage full of different size ropes that uh, often will end up in the 90 to 110 range and just aren't used quite as much as they used to be. Um, so uh, Vinny, any other thoughts on, on rope size and, and what you might suggest for somebody joining the sport? Yeah, I, I guess the only other thing to mention is that, you know, a lot of the companies will sell their ropes, um, in the 220 range. And once they get wet, a lot of them will shrink that, you know, five to 10%. That's true. And so they've kind of built that in, but it is kind of something to keep, uh, keep an eye on just because your ropes might not be the same as they were when you first got them. 200, I agree, is it's the right size. You know, it's kind of that, uh, why are railroads the size that they are? Well, it's because, you know, that's what the universally accepted number is. So like when people are out there bolting new routes, in general, they're bolting it for like a 200 rope community. 
Yeah, that's true. And, and the, you know, talking about the different styles and brands of rope. So, um, you know, Sterling and Imlay are some of the top ones in the, in the static uh, canyoneering rope community. And I actually started off buying, um, you know, not investing too much money, buying the Sterling Prime. And I went through those pretty quickly just because it's not quite as hardy as it should be. So for someone that rarely goes out, the Sterling Prime might be a good uh, economical option. But I ended up uh, really falling in love with the Sterling C4. Um, but I know a lot of the folks that we go out with also have the Imlay uh, different brands, Emily Canyon Fire and the like. And I don't know if you have various opinions on on the differences and similarities in some of the different brands and, and the types, Vin? Yeah, I, I guess I would say that the trade-off that I'm looking at when I'm purchasing canyoneering ropes is that there's this like beautiful feel to some of the ropes, right? Like they're super easy to tie knots into. They feel great in your hand when you're repelling. But a lot of times that comes at the cost of durability, and, you know, you and I are out there a couple of times a week and we can like burn through these ropes. And so over time, I have shifted a little bit more to the more durable side of the equation just for you know economical reasons. Yeah. And to be clear, these ropes on the canyoneering side tend to be eight to maybe nine, nine and a half millimeter um, in size. Every once in a while, you'll see someone online trying to sell a a nice static rope that's 10 or 11 millimeters and no one wants to touch it. And it's really just about, um, you know, the size and the weight that you're, that you're dragging out into the, to the Canyon and doing on these long and, and um, upward approaches. So it gets to be, and then there are some more expensive brands, uh, you know, Sterling, for example, in the, um, that are much lighter because um, they're down to eight millimeter and they do everything about shedding, shedding weight, but they're also at the, uh, at a premium in terms of the price. Um, so that's a little bit different um, trade-off that you got to worry about. And um, so, yeah, it comes down to durability and size and, and um, weight and all those uh, components to it. Some are made more for water, may absorb a little more or less water. But um, generally, when you get your rope wet, it's going to be heavier. And that's just the way it is. Same with your wetsuit, some of the other and everything else in your bag. Yeah, I, I think in general, when you're first starting off, I mean, your best bet is to kind of buy what your friends are buying. Right, because it kind of fits into the team. Like everyone knows what's going on. You start buying like specialty six mil rope, or you start buying ten five. Like when they s- switch to your rope for that particular rappel, like you're definitely going to get comments. Yeah, and the last thing when we talked about uh, carabiners last podcast, the same applies here, which is just be careful about. You're not going to Walmart and uh, to get this this kind of quality rope. Um, you're not uh, also probably going to want to go to. Amazon, unless you're 100% sure you're getting um, authentic quality. So, you know, either go to directly to the manufacturer or, um, you know, again, your local friendly canyoneering shop that sells these kinds of quality ropes that are made for the canyons. Okay. So uh, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and, and talk about rope bags. This episode is brought to you by the Kong Classic Figure 8 Descender. Do you only have $14 to spend on a descender? Do you remember when your grandfather died mountaineering? Then the Kong figure eight is for you. No fancy friction options like those crazy critters and squirrels. Those sound like something a hunter would shoot. The figure eight is old school. Just clip in and go. Want to tie off? Run the rope around your leg three times like grandpa used to do. Before the accident, the Kong Classic Figure 8 at your local Dollar General, Cracker Barrel, and other mediocre retailers where old people shop.
the Kong Classic figure eight. Go figure. What do you think of that, Vin? That sounds great. I want one of those. Uh, Another ringing endorsement from you, Vin. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the rope bags. So it sounds like, you know, no big deal. You just like with climbing, you have any kind of bag, you'd flake it in and and then drag it to the wall and you're done, right? But um, rope bags are, are specialized for canyoneering. So talk a little bit about why they're, they're made the way they are and, and um, what are key aspects when you're buying a rope bag. Yeah, I guess, that, you know, the aspects that I have thought about over time with the rope bags is that we're very abusive to them, right? We're, we're definitely throwing them off of 200-foot cliffs. They're landing in, like, rocks and bushes. Uh, a lot of times we're throwing them into water, and then we have to, like, get them out of the water. Um, yeah, it's definitely just a lot of abuse is the biggest issue. Yeah, and a couple of keys, the throwing into the water and getting them out. So a lot of the rope bags are made to float, so there's either specific things stitched into them to help, uh, you know, the edges float, or sometimes they'll have an actual pad, um, that's removable if you want, but, um, that'll be in there to help it. Um, you know, so I'll call it styrofoam, but it's some version of that that helps it float. And the other aspect of that is these, these bags have big holes everywhere and mesh because you are throwing them into water a lot. And so when you pull them up, you want them to drain as quickly as possible. So, um, you know, durability is key and just having a specialized, canyon rope bag make sure that it can float and drain because you do not want um, your your, the rest of your rope to to sink down to the bottom of a huge pothole and cause some issues Um, i'd also say that their the size makes a difference because if you are going for a 200 uh, foot rope you want to make sure that it's um, sufficient for what you're trying to do because there are smaller rope bags for the uh, 100 foot ropes or maybe a 200 foot pull cord um, so you have to make sure that you're matching up with what your plan is for the, for the size of your rope, or at least don't pull the tags off till you figure out if your rope will, will, um, will work. And the other thing is the, the shape. So for the vast majority of them, they're just, uh, like cylinders, uh, cylindrical in shape. Um, you want to have some good rigidity to it. Um, cause it helps when you're trying to pack and, you know, pack up a rope maybe by yourself. So you clip it onto your harness and, um, you know, put a beaner through the, uh, through your helmet strap uh, to keep the loops out or knots out. Um, and then you're just flaking it into this rope bag. So having having enough of uh, rigidity on it so that you can pack it without it just kind of flopping over on itself or having a second person to hold it open is, is um, I found to be very, very helpful as well. Um, there are a few, like there's a Rodley Sarah that's more of a clamshell, and I haven't really found whether that's helpful and that one wasn't as durable as some of the other bags that I've used. Um, so speaking of bag types, so my favorite, um, is the Sterling Blitz, mostly because that's one of the first ones I bought. I use it all of the time. And even though some of the, you know, nylon handles and things have, um, broken or the buckles are broken and I've had to replace a few things myself. Um, that one has held up very well to a lot of throwing, a lot of abuse. Um, but Imlay has a number of, uh, bags, the rope silos and others. And I don't know, Vin, you have some other, other types as well that you used over time. Yeah, I, I started off with the uh, the Blitz as well. The only thing that I didn't really like about it was that uh, that mesh on top gets super hard, like hard mm. to the point where like it, it feels like it's almost cutting skin. Um, so I use it. I get along with it. It's fine. Um, the only thing I would say is like the caveat to the, the nice form structure. It, it's a great shape for stuffing. But at the same time, then it becomes like this hard object I'm getting trying to get into my bag. 
Um, so when space is at a premium, let's say I'm doing a trip that involves overnight gear plus uh, pack raft stuff, and now space is just an absolute premium, something like the Rodcliffe Sarah is nice because now I can shove it into my bag and get it to fit into a, into a space where the Blitz might not. Um, personally, right now, my, my favorite is the Petzl Yara because uh, mm. it's similar in, in construction to the Blitz, but it doesn't have that mesh that I don't like on top. Yeah, and I'm surprised your your Petzl holds quite a bit of rope easily. It doesn't look as big, frankly, as mine, but somehow it manages to to swallow all that rope. So it's um yeah, it's a, it's an interesting option and it seems to have held up well as well. Um, the other little pro tip that we've seen over time is, um, uh, you know, we'll talk about pot shots in a later episode for being able to, uh, you know, use for sandbags and getting out of potholes. But uh, most of the time your pot shots sit around and don't do anything. So I have had friends and I've personally either put my 200 foot pull cord in a pot shot bag um, or put like a hundred foot rope now and then we're pulling it. So it's a way to save instead of having a big, uh, you know, sterling blitz bag that's twice the size that you would need for um, for 100 foot of rope or 200 foot of pull. You can reuse your pot shots for when you're not uh, trying to get out of a pothole with them. Okay, so let's talk one last item for today, and that's a canyoneering bag. So most most new folks will start with whatever their backpack is, um, but I think similar to the rope bags, uh, there's a lot of abuse that we put on our canyoneering bags, um, and so that's why we have special bags. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's that same it's that same issue with uh, the abuse we put it through, especially with like me. Like I'm just not as confident a lot of times on ropes. So like I need those shoes that are sticky, and I I use my body a lot as I'm sliding or like jamming myself into different sections of the canyon, getting on, and I'm l- literally just using my bag to rub down the rock. Um, yeah, and I I would tear through any of my osprey or the the softer bags that I have. Well, and I will say personal experience and those that I've seen of friends, that is the first place, the bottom of the bag is the first place to go for that very reason. When you're going off of, uh, you know, going down a, uh, um, a down climb or something and your bag is dragging behind you, you are just a, a lot of abrasion. And that tends to be where the holes will form in those um, specialized canyoneering packs. So if you take your, you know, everyday backpack out um, into a canyon, you might have holes in it the very first day. And also there are times when you're going to drop your drop your whole pack. So you want it to be rugged. You still need the holes for draining because once you get into a pothole full of water um, and then size makes a difference too because I always feel like um, I overpack. Uh, I carry um, a lot of you know first aid and other other equipment. I tend to be one to carry at least 200 feet of rope uh, most places. And so I'm always uh, full. My pack's always full. And um, so I, the bigger the bag, the better for me, but others, um, you know, want to right, right size for what they're doing. Um, I was interested in, I looked up the materials because to me, there's kind of the two general brands or styles. So, uh, you know, generically, I would say like the Rod Klees, um, you know, they look more like a PVC and then the Imlays were a little more like a canvas look, but I had to look up exactly what it is. And I want to read it to you because it is amazing this uh the rod clee is made out of polyester at 1100 dtex with pu coating tough and durable polyamide 6.6 at waterproof back paddle and then the imlay is 1000d cordura with padded uh, padded bottom and vinyl lower side panels pierced pvc laminate bottom side panels with mesh behind 
And I will say that the newer inlays actually look like they improved significantly in terms of their mesh on the side, because before it looked like fishnet and uh, most of the inlay rope bags, um, not necessarily the full canyoneering bags, would have rips in them. So I think the inlay have come a long way with their latest models in terms of the um, uh, ruggedness of those bags. And uh, I know the inlay has a new mystery pack um, to go along with their line of uh, collab. Um, and the thing that's interesting, I, I tend to use the rod cleat bags, but it, uh, I always am a little jealous on the inlay side that they have pockets. They have places to put things and water bottles on the outside as well. I don't know your experience, Vin, with uh, with some of the packs that you've seen. Yeah, you know, I think the rod cleat bags, they come at the cost of like having organization like you would in like some of your overnight gear. Uh, for me, it's just more stuff that I'm going to get stuck into trees and in crevices. Yeah, that's true. Anything that sticks out is going to is going to get grabbed by something along the way. Usually it's the top of my pack as I'm trying to duck under a tree branch. Uh, and then the last kind of new um, new company coming into the uh, mix for bags is Slot, S-L-O-T. So they um, um, have a very similar looking, I didn't look up their materials, but kind of a PVC looking bag. Um, so tough materials, but they're uh, special approach is that they have a pocket in the middle t- so that you can pack your your rope directly into your canyoneering bag. Uh, your thoughts on that design, Vin? Yeah, I think this is one of those examples of like canyoneering growing as a sport as it becomes more accepted. We're starting to figure out what it is that people actually need and like use case scenarios. Um, I think this is a pretty interesting company that's doing some pretty innovative stuff. Yeah, the only thing I'd say, I've not used the those bags yet. The only thing I, I'm trying to wrap my head around is we throw our rope bags, you know, almost uh, ever repel. And so I'm trying to imagine throwing my entire canyoneering pack that usually have my phone sitting in there somewhere and maybe even sunglasses if it's a darker canyon that I've taken off. So I, you know, that part of it, uh, the concept I don't love, having everything packed into, you know, one bag, um, and saving on some of the space that my rope bag does take up, um, you know, would be would be nice. But um, but that aside, um, it is as you said, glad to see others coming into the market and providing some other options for folks and uh, whatever works. That's kind of our theme for today and and for the first couple of podcasts when we're talking about equipment. It's kind of how much do you want to spend, and then whatever you find out that works for you makes makes all the difference as you. Um, get more experience as a canyoneer, and uh, you'll find what you like and don't like personally. Anything else for today, Vin? No, the only thing I'll add on that is I think that, you know, even though you and I have been in it for a few years, we're already starting to see some like new techniques that you and I didn't necessarily come into the world with. And so like with that bag, I think one of the things I'm starting to see more often is people deploying um, single rope technique with a block and then deploying Mm -hmm. the second half out of their bag. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So that I think that might be one of the things that they're kind of targeting. Makes sense. Okay. So we're going to wrap it up for today. Hey, thanks, everybody, for your, uh, for your attention. Next time, we're going to talk a little bit more about advanced equipment like Prusiks and mechanical ascenders and uh, progress capture devices and the like for, for those that have been in Canyoning for a while and know what to do with them and, and how to do things like rescue and a little more uh, safety kinds of things. So until next time. Uh, We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.